We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Pooja Kapoor, who is the Director of Corporate Strategy at Google. Let's jump in and get to know Pooja. Pooja, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. I think it's taken us two or three times to get this on the book. So glad to see you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for hanging in there. And we're thrilled that you're here. We're absolutely delighted you're going to spend some time with us. And so for all of our listeners and our audience that may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Tell us a little bit about your family and uh, where you were raised. Sure. You know, culturally, I'm Indian American. My parents both came to the U.S. in the 60s and 70s and thankfully settled in New York City. And I grew up on the East Coast, kind of ping-ponging between New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, surrounded by a really big, fat, supportive Indian family and had a lot of fun with that and really loved technology from an early age. And so I went from my all-girls private high school to Rochester Institute of Technology, where the male-to-female ratio back then in the 90s was probably seven to one. But, you know, I think culturally and and also just with my upbringing, one thing I've really grown to appreciate is that, you know, my parents never gendered my interests. Like they never told me my interests were right or wrong or weren't suitable. So I trained in classical Indian dance and also took apart my computer in the sixth grade. So (laughs) it was like a really big mix. You know, I had an older brother. I think that had something to do with it. So I had a really big mix of, of just kind of exploring lots of different pathways. And my family was always very supportive about that. And you don't realize it in the moment, but super grateful for that, you know, flexibility to kind of pursue whatever interested me at the time. That's pretty cool. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that, because I I think that's fascinating. You know, you had the sort of flexibility and the encouragement to explore and kind of do what you wanted to do. And, you know, your background, your culture and technology, the intersection of all that, how do you think that impacted like your identity and who you are today? Yeah, it's it's funny. I in just thinking about our conversation today, I, I did spend a lot of time thinking through if I knew then what I knew now. And I've come to realize I marched to my own beat in a pretty interesting way. And I think, you know, back then I didn't even realize I was doing that. And so if I wanted to pursue you know computers i just did it and if i wanted to pursue something more artistic i just i just did it and i think coming into the corporate world and thinking through okay what am i supposed to be doing it was interesting to me to just kind of not have some of the mental shackles mm. to say oh i should be doing these things or not doing these things and, and i never really i was often the only woman in the room especially as i as i became more senior in my career but it never really crossed my mind because I think my my family, my parents really instilled that confidence in me that, oh, it doesn't matter if you're a girl, you know, male, female, girl, boy, like if you want to do this, put your mind to it and you'll be successful. And so I think it was a really powerful lesson that was just ingrained in me. It was never overtly kind of said to me in those words, but I just took that lesson all the way through to present day. That's great. Technology early on, we just mentioned that. And yeah. <laughs> you worked for some amazing technology companies in this space. How did you get started down your career path? When I was thinking about my my college major, I really kind of looked at the whole spectrum. And the majority of my family, they're either entrepreneurs or in finance or business. But I IT at the time, that degree doesn't even exist at RIT anymore. But at the time, I studied information technology and graduated towards the tail end of the dot-com bust. 
And so spent a few years at the family business before applying on career builder of all places mm. for an ad trafficking job at Tribune Company in 2005. And so really, you know, I was doing network admin and like really tech, tech stuff, but then decided, you know, I need a change. I want to move away from the East Coast for a couple of years because I knew I would end up settling on the East Coast as I established myself and my family, but wanted a little change. And so decided Chicago was interesting, not far, not far away. Mm. And I looked at the job requirements. I'm like, I can do this. HTML. I know all this stuff. (laughs) So I applied and flew to Chicago and took the job in 2005. And very quickly, in a matter of months, my manager at the time left. And I know a lot of people listening on this podcast know how high stress adopts is. He left one day. And so I had been in the role for, again, maybe a couple of months. And mm-hmm. my manager's manager, so the VP, was out on holiday. And the CTO of Tribune Interactive tapped me on the shoulder and said, so I hear you're in charge. And I, I turned around. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Of course I am. Right. Juliana <laughs> Cole, I'll never forget. And I'm like, yes, how can I help you? And so it was kind of like that where everything happened very quickly and I applied for the role formally and and you know I took over when my boss my, my VP was was on vacation then applied formally and, and really just went for it. Mm. And it was at that time where I met the OG AdOps crew, you know, Ben Brokus and Beeler and Dave Mernick and Craig and all of those folks. And it was a great, great foundational network. And that network is I give that network a lot of credit for bringing me to this point in my career. You know, we had you know the ad monsters, the heyday of ad monsters, I feel was in that time, 05, 06, 07. And through that network, I found my next job at OAO after Tribune. And then through that network, I found my next job at Tremor for a very short period of time before calling Ben one day and saying, Ben, you know, let's let's talk. I want to know what you're doing at AdMeld. I'm not sure I want to go work at AdMeld, but let's just talk. And so he's like, come over to the AdMeld office and I came over and he walked he walked me around the office and I saw so many familiar faces again from that same network mm-hmm. and and I was like I could do this this is great and within a couple of weeks I had joined Admelt and the rest is history so a big kudos to Ben and Michael Barrett and Brian Adams for for establishing such an amazing company it's amazing just going back and thinking like you said the heyday of adops and you know so many of us that have gone on to do other things in this industry that foundation of ad operations has been just so important to to a lot of us it's truly amazing <laughs> it really is yeah yeah as you were talking about your career path there puja i think one thing to me that stood out was that it seemed like every time there was an opportunity or you saw the door open a little bit to advance your career, you took advantage of it. And I'm curious to know, as you think back on the early part of your career, did you realize that that's what you were doing at the time? Sort of like like that was a stepping stone or you were just sort of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. Just curious to know your thought process there. Yeah. I mean, looking back, I think my entire career can be characterized as running towards fires. Because I do feel like that is what I've always done. And and it's usually the hairy projects no one wants to work on that I just dug into and found success in that. But my thought process was really formed by a piece of advice my aunt gave me. This was after my my boss at Tribune had walked out and 
I called my aunt, who was an executive at Credit Suisse at the time. And I said, you know, they, they posted this job. I'm brand new. I mean, I'm the newest person on the team, but I think I can do the job. Should I apply? And I'd run this team. And she gave me the most simple piece of advice that I still use all the time, which was, what's the worst they can say? No. Don't talk yourself out of a job. Apply. Do your best. If they say no, fine. But you'll never know unless you try. And so uh, that piece of advice powered me through a number of things where I I may not have been the perfect candidate, but I tried my best and I, I gave it everything I could. And oftentimes that, that was enough for me to move forward and succeed in what I was doing. Mm. What do you love about our industry? What keeps you going every day? <laughs> no two days are the same. <laughs> you know, we're, we're never done. And in the work I'm doing now, which, you know, again, I was in, in the ads world from 05 through about just about two years ago. And then I switched to look at things a little more broadly across technology and across Google. But I think the same things apply. I just get excited about the fact that no two days are the same. We're never done. And I like to create things. So I like taking ambiguous problems and finding solutions. I like building teams, building infrastructure, building culture. And so a lot of these, again, these big hairy projects, a lot of them come in a pretty shapeless form. And so I like bringing that order and structure to chaos and making something beautiful out of something that is on fire a lot of the times. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's certainly our, our industry. Pretty, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Earlier on, you you mentioned the fact that at times you're the only woman in the room. And I'm curious to understand and hear from you. I mean, listen, we are less than 24 hours away of electing our first woman vice president, which is amazing. And I'm curious to hear from you if you feel sort of like that added pressure of sometimes sort of carrying the torch, if you will, and being there as like opening doors for maybe other women that are coming up behind you? I do take the responsibility. I do feel it's a responsibility to mm-hmm. open the door. And I always tell myself, and I, I say this to other people that are growing into leadership roles, you know, I, I always say you don't get to where you are by, your, by yourself. We don't get to these leadership positions on our own. Mm-hmm. And people bring you along mm-hmm. and they take a chance on you. And so I do make a very concerted effort to do that with making sure I bring people along, you know, the person on your team that built the deck, bring them into the room where it's presented, give them the credit. So when I was in the room and I was being brought into the room, there were a number of times where I felt like, oh, this is interesting. But to me, it felt like I was back in college where my first day of freshman year, I walked into my first IT class, you know, my first class for my major and it was 29 guys and me. Mm-hmm. And they they all turned around and you could hear the record scratch and they looked at me and I looked at them and I just walked in and sat in the middle of the room like, I belong here. Just like you, I belong here. And so I think that things are changing. I see more women in the room now, which is really exciting. But I still think that there's work to be done in terms of making sure we bring the next generation of leaders into the room as well. Pooj, I want to ask you about some of your experiences in the past. Being a, a woman in technology, and you mentioned 29 guys and me, you know, there had to have been a moment where you faced discrimination. Can you talk to us about how you handled that and like how you were able to get through moments like that? Yeah. You know, for those of you, I mean, Corel, you both know me and anyone who's listening on the call, like people who know me know I'm I'm pretty calm. Like I will never be the person to yell and pound the table. And so I internalize. And so there have been times where, you know, whether it's for me, actually, where I was, I faced discrimination was more age. 
So throughout my career, I was, you know, again, in these leadership roles really early. I think I was 24 or 25 when I took over the AdOps team at Tribune. So really early on, and I maintained those leadership positions throughout my career. And a lot of audience people didn't take me seriously. And so I had to work three times as hard to prove myself to my team, to my leadership, to people in the room, to my peers. But that's how I channeled it, just working hard and proving myself. People still do that today. And unfortunately, I'm not young anymore. I'm not like the youngest person in the room, but people think I am. Um, and so I still face that today, which is challenging, but I, I don't feel that need to prove myself anymore. I've kind of grown out of that because now I know I'm in the room. Oftentimes I'm the reason people are in the room. I've called the meeting. And so I definitely own it a little more. But in terms of you know gender-based discrimination, I actually, I was very, very lucky in that I always had very strong champions in my corner at every step of the way. You know, again, between the ad ops community, the ad tech community, which was like a family to me, I have a lot of respect. And I think people had a lot of respect for me. And we had, I never felt like people were treating me differently because I was a woman. And in my work life, I had very strong mentors and sponsors Dana Hayes at Tribune, Jeff Bose, Barb Healy, and then at Google, a number of very key leaders that really guided me and helped me along the way. And so I'm very grateful. I know my my story is not like other people's where they've faced you know very very bad you know gender discrimination, but for me it's been more on the age side. But I've had to just channel it through the way I, I knew best, which was just working you know three times as hard to prove myself. Thank you for sharing that with us. You mentioned sort of the work's never over. It's never the same every two days. Now that we're working from home and there is sort of no official start time and no official sort of end to the day, how are you managing sort of work-life balance? And is there such a thing? Or what's, what's that? that? Yeah, what's that, like? <laughs> what's that like for you? What are these words you're saying? <laughs> you know... At the beginning, I think we were all just rolling with it. We thought, oh, we'll be back at the office in a week. So let's, it's cool to work in your PJs. But it takes effort. And for me anyway, it's, it's a deliberate practice that I'm failing at most days. But you know, I, on the days that I get it right and I actually turn my computer off at 8 o'clock, I feel amazing the next day. But it fluctuates. You know, I think without the structure of pre-COVID life where you know, I used to walk to work, I had my podcast time, I had my commute time, we've just had to be creative and just embrace the uncertainty. Because for me anyway, and my husband, there's no other way to move forward. So we're trying to look at the bright side. And we work a lot. But I'm also just enjoying spending more time with my husband, with my family. And also, you know, we've had to pare down our social circle quite significantly. So we're actually just spending a lot more time with fewer people. And that's actually been really rewarding. So there's been some silver lining, but at the end of the day, we're all kind of just trying to make it work in the moment. Yeah. Now, you used to be on a plane all the time. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and I'm curious to know, are you going to go back to that lifestyle or... Oh, I, okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, you know, why we couldn't do this podcast. Like, you're at the car, you have to get on a plane in 20 minutes. Um, no, I hope that we all are a little more intentional about the amount that we travel. I know for me personally, my husband and I would check in on Sunday nights. You going anywhere? You going anywhere? Am I going to see you this week? And it's nice to be around the people you love. And it's nice yeah. to 
like focus on hobbies and focus on yourself and exercise and enjoy your neighborhood and your community. So hopefully if I can get to once a month, I'll be thrilled. So I'll check back in in a year and we'll see how we are. There we go. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, getting sort of the pictures that resurface and you see yourself at a big dinner or you see yourself, you know. Oh, I know. And I, I remember in those moments we would say to ourselves, boy, I wish I could be at home more. Or, boy, I wish I could, you know, right? And then now you have it and you almost sort of didn't know what to do with it in the beginning, right? It's always fascinating sort of seeing where it is now as we're sort of settling into it, you know, so. Yeah, it was almost like too good to be true in the beginning. Like, you mean I don't have to travel? I don't have to do <laughs> And I, I look at pictures now of, you know, IBALM and things like that. My first thought is, we're so close together. Oh my God. <laughs> but, you know, I do miss the people we used to see all the time. So I'm looking forward to at least getting to some sense of a normal balance again. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes that grind and sometimes being out on the road and, and being, you know, in market is inspirational for a lot of people, right? Or it drives you or you find oh, yeah. a way to sort of thrive off that energy. What are you using now for inspiration or how are you finding, you know, ways to be inspired now? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. What inspires me these days, I think it's just, again, step one is just being grateful for what I have, where we all are. On the flip side of that, I think I'm inspired by just seeing how creative some people have been in trying to help in this crisis. Mm-hmm. And just trying to balance that. Because I think we were talking before we got on the call, we're all going a little stir crazy right now, but just trying to balance the gratitude and also figuring out how you help. You know, again, I, I take a lot of inspiration from my family, from my friends, and just the fact that we are surrounded by so many amazing people. And, you know, beyond that, I also just look for ways to help. So organizations that are doing, you know, great things in the community, finding new ones, trying to support them, whether it's, you know, through donations or through my own intellectual contributions, you know, if I can help these organizations anyways, I, I'm very inspired by some of the research I've been doing to identify some of those places. That's great. Awesome. Awesome. What's on your bookshelf these days? What do you, what do you read it? Oh boy, Carl. <laughs> yeah, in the midst of a Wharton program. So I'm reading a lot of business books. So on my bookshelf right now is this big textbook on valuations. <laughs> Super exciting bedtime reading. Uh, but <laughs> or or yeah. you gotta like nighty night too. Osmosis <laughs> works, right? You can just <laughs> but they're actually they're fascinating. So actually it just I use this time. My husband thinks I'm crazy because I, I took two weeks off and I decided to apply to this program. And he's like, only you would apply to school when you're on vacation because you need something more to do. <laughs> but I actually am I'm very inspired by both the program and the, my classmates and, and the reading we've been doing and the learning we've been doing. And so, so in addition to that, kind of the usual suspects in terms of you know, the Atlantic, all the trades, all the kind of where I get my information. And other than that... I finished uh, Midnight in Chernobyl and Say Nothing, which were on my list for a long time. So I love kind of the historical kind of looking back. You know, aside from that, just a lot of business reading, unfortunately, is pretty boring. <laughs> I like gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. If there is a uh, college student listening to this podcast right now and they're thinking about a career in ad tech, what advice would you give to that student? You know, in ad tech, again, I think we're so lucky because of the community we have. I would say you know, don't be afraid to ask for help, for advice, for introductions. You know, I think people coming into ad tech bring a lot of transferable skills. And so I would I would just say, don't talk yourself out of a job before you've had a chance to pursue it because you probably do have a lot you could bring to the table. And 
everyone in this industry, I think, is so keen to help bring new people in. And then I think if you're in the door, I would say, if you have a seat at the table, you deserve to have a seat at the table and right. you've earned it. So own it. So that would be my advice to anybody trying to come into this space. And also, it's just a lot of fun. So you should come on in. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that's right. I, I love that advice. You've, you've earned it. So own it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Advice. Love it. All right. Now for a, a fun question. I love asking everyone that comes on the podcast, which is give us the top three apps that you use on your phone and you can't name email or calendar. And if I would have asked you a year and a half ago, I'm sure Delta app would have been one of those, but oh it won't be now. <laughs> yeah. It would have been Hertz, American Airlines, Star <laughs> and Uber, right? <laughs> so on my phone now, so here's the, the nerd alert. So I love lists and checking things off my list. So Todoist is one of my most used apps. Um, any task-related app. Mm. YouTube Music, not just saying that because I work at Google, but <laughs> we had Spotify, but I think the algo for YouTube Music is amazing. Nice. Uh, music is is on my list. And then the third one I have to say right now, this is my escapist hobby, is the Realtor.com app. Mm. So <laughs> I spend a lot of time these days just kind of looking at houses and yeah. seeing what's available and thinking about what life would be like and Montana or Texas or wherever as we sit through, you know, month, you know, 10 of COVID. So, and uh, sometimes you see that kitchen, you're like, oh, or that bathroom and you're like, oh, Oh, or the house (laughs) that I found in Connecticut that has an indoor pool in the living room and it's all wood paneled. I'm like, how is this going to be? A very fun, yeah. So lots of like, what were they thinking? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Pooja, for spending some time with us. We're thrilled to have you, and uh, a lot of our audience likes to stay in touch and reach out. What are some ways that our listeners uh, can follow you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way, or email full name at google.com. But I look forward to hearing from everyone. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. And if you're looking for more episodes, you can find us where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Preacher. Thank you.